0: Ah, uh, the power of Jesus through uh, through His children and the power to uh, change lives. It is what uh, what uh, what we're about. Uh, ah, and to be able to do that and live in Southern California, I went to the closet this morning because the temperature was a 60. This is the first time I've put on long pants in I think five or six months, and I. <laughs> yeah that's for wearing the pants. I understand. I was actually applauding living in a place where you don't need long pants but uh, i i uh, I got it so so good to be with you. Maybe notice some less familiar faces up there this morning. We got Noel at the piano, a professor of worship over at uh, Biola and a couple of her students. It's very nice to have uh, have them with us uh, this morning so uh I got asked this question, pretty thoughtful question, and I don't ever remember being asked. Hanging out with some buddies this last week, and and one of them said, you know, life is filled with ups and downs, and it's not always easy, and sometimes we just go to work, and it's not always that great, and you just have to gut it out. Do you ever feel like that when you preach? Is there ever a Sunday morning when you preach and you go, you know, I got to go through it, but I just can't quite get into it. And I said, huh, never been asked that. My answer is, no, no, never struggled with it. You just heard Joe talk about why. This Jesus guy changes lives. Now, most of you have heard me talk about it. I quit the pastorate after my first gig. It was more frustrating than I would have liked it. Of course, that's the other churches, never frustration here. (laughs) And it was the the truth experienced in my life, and particularly as I was reading Ephesians 3.10. God's plan is through the church. Now, we are so far from perfect because it's made up of folks like us. But God's plan is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be revealed. I'm like, there's nothing more critical, nothing more important than seeing this God for who he is, treasuring him, trusting him, and walking in faith with him. It's the key to life. You just heard Joe talk about it. It changed his life. So, no, I don't ever have a challenge to get motivated on Sunday mornings. That you offer me this privilege is beyond me. I feel inept, I feel incapable. But all of us are. I get this privilege of talking about Jesus, about God, and helping people understand who he is, experience his love more fully. There's nothing more consequential, nothing more significant in all the world. So no, I don't ever have a problem getting motivated to do this. That's what John's doing in this book. He's revealing God. Now, churches, they get known for a lot of things. A place to meet and connect with friends. Good thing. A place to serve, to help others help others. One of our distinctives around here. Valuable. But the essence of why we exist is so that we'll help one another see God. He is actually the point. 33 years, 21 chapters, and the last three days. That's what John has been writing about. The beloved, one of the disciples. He's given us this picture. He's giving us commentary as he goes through this gospel, trying to reveal Jesus, attempting to reveal God. He's given us his commentary, and then what he's done is he's, he's put together stories about what Jesus has done. He's done several miracles, walked on water, uh, uh, turned water to wine. The last one that is right before our text today, the raising of Lazarus. It was moving up. He's been quoting Jesus, and the things he's been saying is Jesus has been trying to reveal himself and who he is, and there's been, again, an escalation. And we just finished with, he is the resurrection and the life. And there's been this raising, rising tension. Some people are believing in him. And when John quotes as people believed in him, they like him, they're following him, they believe what they know. I don't believe he's using that usually as as a sense of what we would talk about that full, wholehearted belief is. But there are folks that like him, and then there are folks that don't like him. We're at a turning point in the book. We're finishing chapter 11 today. Two years of Jesus' teaching and ministry in these first 11 chapters. We have 10 left. We're going to deal with one week. This is a turning point. The religious leaders are getting tipped. And they're formally going to declare in the text we're looking at today this is the end. They intend it to be the, the end of, of Jesus' ministry. But what it's actually going to be is the beginning of the end of the beginning. It's the beginning, it's the end of the beginning, those first two years of his ministry. Now we got a week, and after this week, then it really gets launched. And they have no idea what they're doing. But it's the core of our faith, it's the foundation of our faith. Now, we're going to be reading about a guy named Caiaphas. He is the high priest. We're going to be reading, it's going to be translated the council. It's literally uh, uh, the Sanhedrin. You know, we got three branches of government in the United States, right? You all know what they are executive, judicial, legislative. They were all combined for the Jews. Now, they're under the authority of Rome, but they got a little freedom. Not a ton, but they got a little freedom. But they're under the authority of Rome. But they just have one group, the Sanhedrin. They're the judicial, they're the legislative, and they're the religious authorities. There is no division, which I like this division because of the depravity of we human beings. There's none of that here, and that's what we're going to be reading about. And they're going to take the first formal step now. The tensions against Jesus have been rising. They're going to declare in the text today, okay, it's time to kill him. They're formally going to make the statement. They're deciding this to end Jesus' influence. That's their intent. What John actually wants us to see, though, is it's actually going to be a step, a means, to launching Jesus' eternal influence. So testimonies like you just saw in the video, 2,000 years later. 2,000 years. These guys made a decision to stop Jesus' influence. 2,000 years later, he's still changing Lives. here's the text many of the jews therefore lazarus has just been raised who had come with mary and had seen what he did believed in him as much as they could but some of them there's still the division went to the pharisees and told them what jesus had done so the pre- chief priests and the pharisees gathered the council and said what are we to do for this man performs many signs with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Deal with this next week. Now the chief piece in two weeks. Drew's going to be here. Many of you remember Drew Soderstrom, our pastor that we launched up. He's going to be preaching next week. We planted a church with him up there. He's here next week. That has nothing to do with the text. Are you going to have trouble going back (laughs) to the text? I said we're going to deal with this in two weeks. We're actually going to deal with it in two weeks. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them uh, know so that they might arrest him. Father, we're encouraged by Joe's testimony. We're grateful by what God is doing in his life through these relationships. It is your design in terms of how people see your glory, your love and your grace. My prayer is that you'll move in our hearts again in, in our time here together. We just want to see Jesus. We just want to see God more clearly. There are so many things that feel like they demand our attention in this world. So much going on. So much technology that can get us access to so many things. Father, I pray you wouldn't allow the bad stuff to keep us from seeing the best. And I pray you wouldn't even allow the good stuff to keep us from seeing the best. We just want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. We want to love him more fully. So, Father, you know how broken and cracked and weak a vessel I am. I Pray that you would work through me, through all of us, as we try to encourage one another in Jesus. That's my prayer. I ask us again in his name. Amen. So, two big ideas here today. The first one is this. We just read it. Caiaphas spoke in the council, the Sanhedrin. If I go back and forth, Sanhedrin and the council are the same thing, this group of Jewish leaders that oversaw everything for the Jews. They took action to initiate the beginning of the end of Jesus' influence. They want him stopped. Now, here's their problem. Jesus' rising popularity it feels like is going to lead the Romans to destroy them and their nation. Here's the problem. This guy's growing in popularity. They still have to submit to the nation of, uh, of of Rome and to the emperor there. This Jesus is gaining in popularity. We saw it at the beginning of this text. Some went and told the Pharisees, others believed in him, and I think part of this is still rooted in in incorrect thinking of who the Savior was, not really reading Isaiah 53, if you're familiar with that, about the suffering servant and how his life is going to be taken away. I think they still have this idea that he's going to be a warrior king. Now, one of the interesting things is, if they were trying to ponder the truth, Jesus doesn't relay that in the text. They just see Jesus is going to grow in popularity. People are going to want to follow him. And then what do you think the emperor of Rome's going to do? The freedoms we enjoy, the lifestyle we enjoy, bam! He is going to trounce on that, and he is going to come in and occupy our nation. We got a problem here. We got to fix this. If we let him go on like this, hyperbole here, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place. You know, it was good being a part of the Sanhedrin. It was a nice lifestyle. I don't know if you get a house like in there, Washington, D.C. or whatever, and all the salary and all these accolades, but this is a good life. They just as soon not lose their life. He grows in popularity. The Romans come in and wipe out the nation again to destroy this warrior king that they think he might be. Man, this is going to be a bad thing for us. But it's not completely selfish motives. And our nation. This isn't going to be good for us, and it's not going to be good for our people, if that's what's going to happen. People get excited about this Jesus, they start following him, and they take up arms. We are going to get squashed by Rome. Now, I'll tell you, God's chosen people, and this is just a sidebar small thought, I probably shouldn't even say it because some will get excited about this, but that they've existed after all they've been through, it is remarkable that there's still a nation over there. This is crazy, given the folks that they're surrounded by, but there's their problem. Jesus is going to raise popularity. The Romans are going to come in, and they are going to stamp us out. Caiaphas, he's a smart guy. Let's kill Jesus so the Romans don't kill us. Let's substitute this one guy for all of us. We kill him, and our problems are done. Now, what's he done? They think he's a blasphemer, but mostly all he's done is good stuff. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. I think what he's trying to say here, and this is not, not an easy one to understand, but kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. You guys are wrestling with what should we do? Listen to the meeting. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? This is not a complicated problem. As the leaders of Israel, considering our place and our nation, this is not rocket science. I don't know what you guys are doing, frittering around trying to make a decision. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you and for the nation that one man should die for the people but not that the whole nation should perish. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Here is a key transition. We're not gonna get any more miracles of Jesus for the rest of the book. John, for 11 chapters, has been telling us about Jesus' teaching and been showing us miracles. Ended with him raising somebody from the dead. I'll just tell you, in terms of miracles, that's the biggest. He ends there. Now they have formally declared. They've been wrestling with it. They've changed. They've talked about it. But now they are saying, as the official governing body of the Jewish nation, it is time for him to die. The next ten chapters are going to be about what happens after this. Roughly a week. In Jesus' life. So the counter believes that they will have a double win. The nation is saved, their jobs are saved, their lifestyles are saved. How many of you enjoy Joe in his testimony, right? He loses his job during COVID. For how many of you, if you lost your job, would it impact your lifestyle? May I see the hands? Okay. Most of us. There are some, maybe, that you go, eh. I lose my job, no problem. But most of us, let me assure you, I lose my job, it will have implications for my lifestyle. So this is not all that bad a thing. We like our lifestyles. The nation is saved, they get to save their job, and Jesus the blasphemer is stopped. On one level, you could argue, these guys are effective leaders. Now, they're just missing one thing. given all the evidence, given all he said, is he actually the Christ? Is he actually the Messiah? I don't think that the strategy they're adopting, given their responsibility for the nation, is all that unreasonable. Unless, of course, (laughs) one small little caveat. You guys get... Hyperbole or understatement? It's not hyperbole. What's the formal name for understatement? We got any English teachers in here? Understatement. (laughs) I'll just go with that. All the English teachers must be at the other churches this morning. I bet we got a lot of engineers and mathematicians. Anyway, I didn't mean to make fun of those people. Unless he actually is the Messiah. If he's not the Messiah, it's not a bad leadership decision. Sacrifice one for everybody. So the council took action to initiate the beginning of the end of Jesus' influence. But in reality, when Caiaphas spoke, Caiaphas spoke and the council took action, it actually initiated the end of the beginning of Jesus' influence. Now, it's really going to get launched in about a week. But this is the beginning. It's the end of the beginning of what is really going to happen. So, Caiaphas' solution, remember what that is? Let's kill Jesus so the Romans don't kill us. Let's substitute Jesus for us. you got to love the way God works. We're going to look at this, right? You saw it in the text. He has no idea the consequence of what he's just articulated. He has no idea. Caiaphas, speaking on God's behalf. You saw it, and we're going to pull this apart. But he's prophesying without knowing it. And here's what God is saying through Caiaphas. Are you with me? Caiaphas said, let's kill Jesus so the Romans don't kill us. God actually says, I'm going to kill my son. So I don't have to kill all of you. God says, I'm going to substitute Jesus for y'all. I don't care where you are on your spiritual journey today. This is the center of the Jewish faith. Uh, The Jewish faith. (laughs) Of appropriate Jewish faith. Of Christian faith. Oh, man. When I told you I was a weak and broken vessel, I'd like to illustrate that from time (laughs) to time. There it is. This is the essence of the Christian faith. All through Scripture... All of us have not obeyed God. We have all disappointed him. We have all chosen the pleasures of this world over the joy that's to be found in him. How many people have not done that? None. So how many people actually need a substitute to be right with God? Everyone. God says, I'm going to do this because I love you my son, my son who's done nothing wrong, my son that I think it would be fair to say he loves more than he loves us. But because he loves us, here's what Caiaphas is revealing unknowingly. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, You know nothing at all, you dunderheads. This is obvious. Let's kill him." Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should be perished. And here's what John says. He did not say this of his own accord. Now, he doesn't mean that he's not thinking. It doesn't mean that he's not responsible for what he's doing. It doesn't mean that. He's not a puppet. Some of you guys know the testimony story in the Old Testament, where uh, uh, I'll quote the scriptures, where God spoke through Balaam's ass, Balaam's donkey. That's not what's going on here. Caiaphas knows exactly what he's saying. It is intentional and it is deliberate. But is God involved even in this? He is. He did not say this of his own accord. Hey, and for you guys at home, I'm trying to walk less. My wife stayed home. Hey, everybody online, nice to see you. My wife was not feeling well a week ago and she watched online and she just looked at me and said, you walk way too much, stop it. Now she said it very nicely. So other people have suggested that. I now have increased motivation to walk less. This, when I go on those sidebars, is it confusing? Is it hard to get back? And again, here's some of you are going, I wish you wouldn't do that. It's so convenient. If you knew how many ideas went in my head that I disregard, you would be thanking me rather than criticizing me. These ideas are always popping in my head, but I go, oh, don't go there. Don't go there. Partly because I know I go home and my wife says, stay on script. It's better. I love my wife. You know she means that in the most positive way. Did that sound negative? Okay, let's go back to the text. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest, and I can only say it here because she'll be in the next service, so there's going to be none of this, so you get this for free that they're not going to get. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not in the way that Caiaphas and they believed. They didn't get it, and not only the nation, but this is us, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. He's dying, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. That's most of us. I know there's a couple of us here that have some Jewish ethnicity. I always, when I first came to faith, I thought it would be so cool to be a Jew by ethnicity. But it's way better to be a Jew by faith. And a child of Abraham. So I am Jewish by my faith in the purest and and, 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 and best best sense. This is the heart of Christianity. Caiaphas. Speaking ideas that he had no idea the consequence of. So I got four encouragements this morning. First one is Jesus' death was planned by God. Don't miss it. We know that from other texts. We know it from this text. Caiaphas prophesied. I'm pretty sure Balaam's donkey was unaware of what he was communicating. So was Caiaphas. Caiaphas is conscious of what he's communicating, but he had very little idea. This was planned by God. Nothing accidental. Jesus has already told us that he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. No pressure. It's not coming from anybody else. He's not forced to. God is not forced to give his son. But this was all a part of a plan an eternal plan. Jesus' death was initiated by those with disgusting intent. No record anywhere, at least in John here, that these Pharisees given what Jesus had done were asking is this true? They're to save themselves and save their nation but it's another illustration of how God uses wicked, evil, hard, bad things for his glory and for our good. We talk about that a lot here, mostly because it's all over Scripture, including here. Secondly, it's the most important theological truth to me other than Jesus being a substitute for my life. God uses hard things, difficult things for our good to draw us to himself when we think we need circumstances different and from that faith-filled, non-anxious, joyful response even in the midst of garbage that other people get to see Wow, being connected to Jesus really helps somebody. You guys remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Brothers sold him into slavery. Finally gets reunited with him after he's second in command in Egypt. What's he say? You intended it for evil, just like Caiaphas. But God intended it for good. Stoning of Stephen, go to Acts 7. Here's the big idea. Stephen, speaking up for Jesus, evangelizing, gets stoned. Again, you guys, I read these texts. You guys pay me to do the same thing. Crazy to me how good God's been to me. I get paid to do what Stephen got stoned, but read the text. Paul is standing there at his feet. Luke, as he writes this, wants us to understand Paul's watching this. Bright light on Damascus, and he goes, oh, boy, did I mess up. Go back to Acts 7. The church gets launched through the stoning of Stephen. People lose their jobs, their livelihoods. They have to lead some family, but those believers are launched around. Is that the way we would plant churches? You know why God did it that way in my estimation? Because they'd probably still be talking about what neighborhood should we go to. What's the socioeconomic demographic? God says, I'm going to let Stephen be stoned, and there will be Christians now around the world. I've shared with you before, and it's still true. When God brings difficulty into your life, I have absolutely no difficulty wondering whether or not it's for your good. Y'all heard me? It's easy. Oh, Mike, he needed that. Oh, Terry, he needed that. Notice how I'm just sticking with men right now. I'm trying to be safe. Mark, oh, he needed that. But it's all through the Scriptures. Most evil event in the history of the world. What's the most evil event in the history of the world? Crucifixion of Christ. We're going to read about it in another 10 chapters. Most evil event. What are these guys doing? What's he done that was bad? What's he said that wasn't true? And they've now decided to kill him. But even in this declaration, God is prophesying. Oh, and here's the heart of it. This is how Christianity most significantly and essentially differs from every other religion in the world. Every other religion. Every other religion, and we have faith, LDS, Jehovah's Witness, that include Jesus. They get some stuff right about Jesus. They get a bunch of stuff wrong. But in every other religion and in every cult, even if they use the name of Jesus, even if they use the word faith, Jesus is a substitute, and I'm speaking very generally, but we still have to do something. You can talk about even within Christendom, there are some groups that, man, they're playing in what I would call a gray area. It feels like, man, they may have some of our work involved in this. And that's highly offensive to God. That we would bring anything to our own salvation. And if you're thinking about treasuring Christ, you're not there yet. Please understand, particularly if you've not chosen to follow Christ, this is the most significant difference. I talk to churchgoers, and every once in a while I hear somebody say, Either these exact words or something like it I need to be a better Christian I'm not always sure what they mean sometimes it feels like to me what they mean is I should be sinning less so that God will be happier with me and I'll have greater odds of being justified I don't always know well usually when somebody says something like that I ask huh What do you mean by that? So sometimes I get a good sense. But this idea that somehow we're going to make God happy by behaving better, by thinking better, by sinning less. No. Jesus went there for us, and he did it all, a 100%. And God is offended when we add anything to that. Now, for those who treasure Christ and then in whom his spirit dwells, we start to hate sin. Still going to wrestle with it until we die. But we go, man. So if by be a better Christian we mean I'd like to have a stronger faith, amen, hallelujah. If by that I mean I'd rather behave better, That's a result of our believing more fully. I talk with people who are still carrying guilt of stuff they've done in the past. That doesn't please God. If you're still hanging on to stuff, You maybe made some lousy decisions. Maybe you made them this week. I don't know. You're still hanging on to that stuff, and it's heavy, and it's a burden. He died so that we could let it go. Now, there may be implications in real life that come from some of those decisions, but that weight of guilt, he wants it gone. We just want the nation to survive and keep our jobs. What he actually said is, no, no, you got it. Jesus is going to go to the cross so that folks can have that guilt, that scum in their life, all of it taken away for all eternity. I talk with people once in a while. You've all heard me say, I don't ever beat myself up. I trust Christ. Now, do I still make the decisions? Do I still sin? Yes, yes, yes. But God forgives me. I don't want that to be trite. He looks at me. He sees the righteousness of Christ because Jesus was substituted to me. You understand? I don't know how many people we have here, but pretend there's a cross for all of us. That dying physically was the least part of it. He was carrying our spiritual consequences. The physical pain was nothing compared to the spiritual pain that every one of us, just imagine putting your cross up there and God not only killing us physically, but spiritually. That's what we all deserve. How many of us would like what we deserve in this regard? I would tell you, this is one time I really don't want what I deserve. I don't want to get what I deserve. My son's sitting right over there. I wouldn't sacrifice him for all of you. I love you, but not that much. God and I both love you. He just loves you a lot more than I do. And if you're thinking about treasuring Christ, this is the reason why. Ah, to have that stuff all forgiven. And it's for everyone. Don't miss this. He didn't realize he was saying it, but for the rest of his children scattered around the earth. For us and for those that still are going to come to believe. And here's the cool part. God uses us. Have I ever not been motivated to talk about this? No. Because Jesus changed my life. Now, there are some days during the week that are a little less exciting. (laughs) but Talking about Jesus and his love for us never gets old for me. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Just a second here, I'm going to ask you all to come forward. This is the symbol of what Caiaphas prophesied without knowing (laughs) that we'd be forgiven. You don't need to be a member of RCC to participate in this. But there is one requirement. That you treasure Christ. If you're here today and you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, I cannot express thoroughly enough my excitement with you being here and my conviction that God's working in your life. But I'm gonna ask you to wait till you've decided to treasure Christ to participate in this table. We're thrilled you're here. I hope you feel welcome. You wanna talk? I will talk about Jesus anytime. He's way more exciting than the Vikings though they won last week over Green Bay. in our place, nothing more significant. So all who treasure Christ, if you will, I'm gonna ask you to come up and take the two cups, one with the wafer, one with the juice, take them back to your seats, and then we'll participate and share in these together. So come on up here. sins and guilt are removed and an easy lifestyle is guaranteed no but he's with us in everything he's forgiven us and he is the resurrection of life and through him we have the resurrection of life all because he died for us hmm. I just as soon not be Caiaphas, for I'm speaking deep truths of God with ill intent. Speaking the truths of God with the best of intent that other might see this, that's our life. So, he died. You all remember, they put a spear in his side. Crown of thorns, beat him. That wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was when God poured the wrath on us that we deserve on him. That was the worst. And we're not going to have to deal with it because of him. Life is hard. I get it. But he died in our place that we might live for all eternity. We eat this in remembrance that he was substituted for us. And his blood, figuratively speaking, that washes away our sins so that we were white. White as snow. Why would we ever beat ourselves up? That would be foolish and dishonoring to God. Because Jesus paid it all. He did everything for us. We drink this celebrating our forgiveness, celebrating our life, and our eventual resurrection. That's what we do in the name of Jesus. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for working in our lives. Thanks for sending Jesus into this world. We love you. We love you. We love you.